0: Well, good morning, folks. How are you? Welcome to Burlington Baptist Church. I hope you've had a good week. If you haven't had a good week, I hope that the worship and the warm fellowship and uh, the preaching of the Word will encourage your heart. If you're our guest, we are glad that you are here and welcome, and thank you for coming. I stay down front at the end of the service, so come down and let me get acquainted with you and welcome you to Burlington Baptist Church. I continue to remind you of our Good Friday service at 7 o'clock and our community sunrise service at 7 o'clock on Easter Sunday morning on the parking lot of the Justice Center. Now, you'll be on the steps facing the east, and uh, you can sit on the steps, but if you want to bring a chair, it might be more comfortable for you. It won't last, it won't last long, uh, but, but I hope that you will start the day with us. Uh, between First Church and us, We're doing this together, uh, and we hope the community will join us as well. Uh, I I encourage you to invite your friends to come on Easter Sunday morning. Even the unchurched people want to come to church on Easter. There are many people in churches today that are saved because someone invited them to Easter service. And they came, and they stayed, and they got right with the Lord. So I hope you'll use it as an open door. Now, Danny encourages you to use the app. Let me encourage you to use the app. If I can use it, anybody can use it. And if you don't know how to use it, get your grandchildren to tell you. They know how to do it, and they can help you. Oh, old I I don't like this modern technology. Well, get used to it, old people. It's, it's here to stay. It's here to stay, so I hope that you will use it. Another thing on your bulletin, the new bulletin, a lot of folks uh, wanted, wanted uh, outlines, and, and remember I used to preach here, I had an outline, but, 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 it, but it got to the point where it was too much waste. Uh, but the new bulletin has a section for you to take notes. Now, you don't have to take extensive notes. If you just write my points down and the scripture as we go along, you'll know what I preach about. My title is my thesis. My thesis. And then my points prove my thesis. And it's just as simple as that. And then you won't forget it. I don't know about you, but I have to write things down now because I don't remember them. And uh, so it'll help you uh, to, take a few, to take a few notes. Let's pray. We're going to talk today. We're continuing the series on what about heaven. Today we're going to talk about how does believing in heaven help us now. Let's pray and we will get into it. Our Father, we thank you that you are preparing an eternal home for your children, and we look forward to being at home with you. We look forward to being reunited with those that we have loved and lost for a little while. Father, as we make our way home, may we continue to abide in you as you are in us, and help us to continue on this journey to find our strength from you. And Father, I know you're going to bring us home safely, so keep us safe until we are in your presence. Now, Father, pour through me the gift of preaching, take these human words, and use them to speak to us today, and give each of us just the message you want us to hear, because we pray to you in the name of Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. amen. The great American evangelist D.L. Moody was going to preach at a church service, and He had a friend going with him, and his friend said, Mr. Moody, what are you preaching about tonight? Well, I'm going to preach on heaven. And Moody noticed that his friend had a real frown on his face, and Moody said, well, why are you reacting like that? And he said, well, I was hoping that you would preach on something a little more practical. See, that statement, folks, reveals the underlying assumption that many Christians have That someday, out there in the sweet by and by, heaven will matter. But right now, we need something more up to date. We need something more contemporary. We need something more practical. So how does heaven, believing in heaven, help us now? Now, if your view of heaven isn't practical, it's probably not good doctrine. Heaven is a future hope and a present help. Heaven is a future hope and a present help. Now, the biblical view of what's coming should have a huge impact on what's happening now. How we live for God then should be the way that we live for God now. Would you agree with that? Colossians 3 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven." Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Look at this. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. Now some translations say fix your eyes on heaven. Fix your eyes on heaven. Now the Bible says if heaven is our fix, it will fix a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with. It will help us now and it should help us now. You see, heaven was Jesus' fix, and that's how he got through this tough stuff that he had to go through down here. Look at Hebrews 12, 2. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look at this next phrase, who for the joy set before him. That's heaven. That is heaven. The joy set before him. And because of that joy of going back to his father, he endured the cross, Scorning and shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. To Jesus, Jesus to Jesus have the hope of heaven was a present help. Now my guess is, a lot of us could use some help. If you've ever read M. Scott Peck's great book, "The, the, uh, the Road Less Travel," he begins that book with a dynamic sentence that we all can agree with. Simply, he starts that book by saying, Life is difficult. Amen? Life is difficult. And a lot of us feel whipped down and beaten by life because it gets so difficult. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So how does aiming at heaven help us now? Let's begin with this. Believing in heaven now shapes our values shapes our values if your worldview includes the next world then it will impact your lifestyle in this world first Peter 2 I want you to notice the, the words that are in bold dear friends you are like foreigners and strangers in this world I beg you to avoid the evil things your bodies want to do that fight against your soul. People who do not believe are living all around you and might say that you're doing wrong. Live such good lives that they will see the good things you do and give glory to the God on the day when Christ comes. Notice the bold. You are like foreigners and strangers in this world. Now that does not mean that we go off and live on a mountain somewhere and wear a white robe and eat bird seed till Jesus comes. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. We don't have to become a hermit. It means that we fix our eyes on heaven. We will have a value system that really does seem strange to this world. Let me give you some examples. If heaven is our fix, we will have a strange attitude toward wealth. Our culture's attitude toward wealth is accumulate all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. Isn't that right? But if heaven is our fix, it's not important how rich I am in this life, but how rich I am in the next life. So if heaven is our fix then, it means that we will know the difference between treasures and trinkets. We'll know the difference between what is durable and what is exposable. We'll know the difference between what is just surface and what really is substance. If heaven is our fix, we'll have a strange attitude toward people. Let me tell you what I mean. If heaven is our fix, we need to realize that investing in people and spending our life investing in people because People are the only commodity that's going to go to the next life. Look what, Peter, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We regard them from an eternal point of view because people are the only commodity that's going to heaven. So we invest our lives in people. Look at this. If heaven is our fix... We'll have a strange attitude about happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. I hear parents say, well, I just want my kids to be happy. I told my kids, I am not here to make you happy. I am here to make you holy. I'm not here to make you happy. And uh, that didn't go over too well, but they turned out pretty well. Our world is run on instant gratification. The Bible's full of it. Instant gratification. Esau comes in from the field. He is so hungry. And what does he do? He sold his birthright to his brother for a mess of pottage because he had to have it right now. David sees a woman taking a bath. She's a very beautiful woman. He sees her taking a bath. Did he pause to think, if I commit adultery with that woman, my country will go into civil war. And if I commit adultery with that woman, I will lose several of my sons which he did no he thought she is hot and I want her in my bed right now go and fetch her for me and they did you see I didn't think that was funny I didn't prepare that to be funny some of you are got a bad mind so uh, let's go on See, that's the person. David is the person who thinks when thinking when their hormones and their passions are out of control. And that's what the young couple thinks. When they pull out that credit card, they've got to have it right now instant gratification doesn't make any difference that they got ten thousand dollars on that credit card that they can't make the payment but i gotta have it now it is right now thinking it is instant gratification the world is dominated by instant gratification but if heaven is our fix we are able to practice something that the world doesn't know much about delayed gratification Which means we will make our choices not on what makes us happy right now, but what is good for eternity. We will will feel joy and hope, not in what the world peddles as instant gratification. If heaven is our fix, yes, we'll have some strange attitudes compared to the world. And we will not let, right now thinking, instant gratification control our lives. So believing in heaven now shapes our values. And that goes right to the second point. Believing in heaven now controls our stress level. Or maybe I should say should control our stress level. Look what Colossians said. Look at it again. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Now, folks, setting our sights on the reality of heaven helps us to lighten up. Heaven helps us to realize that trivial stuff for what it really is. Setting our sights on heaven helps us to realize that most of life is trivial. I have been in airports in this country and around the world... And I've been in some beautiful airports. Paris is beautiful. Amsterdam is, is, is beautiful. I've been in airports where it was just a lean-to and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, mud, a mud runway. But I've never stopped and said, my, my, look at this airport. Isn't this beautiful? Look how they've decorated this place. I just think I'll stay here. I just think I'll stay here. No, 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 no. I don't care how beautiful that airport is. That's not important to me. I'm not interested in staying in airports. The only thing I want to use that airport for is to get me home. I'm not interested in staying there. See, folks, the temporal and the temporary, oh, yes, yes, you can't deny them. But they don't matter all that much in the light of eternity. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says something here that's very strange, very strange. He says, for our light and momentary troubles. Yeah, Paul, light and momentary. Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is now, now folks, we just need to lighten up. We get bent out of shape over the most trivial things, and they won't pass the eternity test. and shoot, we get bent out of shape over things that won't pass the 12-hour test, let alone the eternity test. So we need to learn how to live in light of eternity. We are living in a stressed-out world. I discovered that the top five meds, of the top ten meds that doctors are giving their patients, the top five are for anxiety. Now, Now, listen to me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take meds to fix our brains. We take meds to fix our heart when it malfunctions. We take meds to fix our stomach when it malfunctions. We take meds when our colon malfunctions. We take meds when our pancreas malfunctions. Why should not we take meds when our brains malfunction? It's no disgrace. The brain is an organ just like your heart. And when the heart malfunctions, you take meds for it. And when the brain malfunctions, you take meds for it. I am just saying that we are an up tight culture ready to explode at any minute. Now <laughs> I, <laughs> I used to blow my horn in traffic and I referred to it as corrective criticism. I don't do that now because the guy I may be packing and he won't mind taking you out so be very careful. We were in Los Angeles one time uh, at a conference, and we had the TV on, listening to news while I was getting ready, and the, the sad story, this guy in a pickup truck pulled up beside this car on one of their freeways, and took out his gun, and uh, wasted the guy in the car next to him, now I don't know what the guy in the car next to him did, but he didn't d- deserve being killed, and then he sped off, but here's the sad thing, that man had his little four-year-old daughter in the car with him, and he was taking her to a birthday party, and she saw her daddy blown away right before her Eyes. Imagine the trauma. We are living in an uptight culture. And this culture needs people that bears witness to a peace that passes understanding. And that comes when we fix our eyes on eternity. All right? Believing in heaven now shapes our values, controls our stress level, and then makes our trials and suffering Believing in heaven now makes our trials and suffering that you're going through bearable. Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I know and you know, some of our light momentary troubles, they're heavy. They're not light at all. And they're not momentary. They last a long time, and we have to deal with them a long time. But when our trials and sufferings are at its worst, that's when Satan does a number on us to discourage us. One of the greatest swimmers of all time was Florence Chadwick. This is her picture. She was the first person to swim back and forth across the English Channel. In 1952, at the island of Catalina off the coast of California, her goal was to be the first person to swim from Catalina through the frigid waters of Pacific to the shore of California. She swam for 15 hours. Can you imagine? The fog was just dense and heavy and couldn't see anything. Her mother was in a boat beside of her, cheering her on and encouraging her. But Florence, finally emotionally and physically exhausted, gave up, and they brought her in the boat, only to discover they were about one mile from the shore. Hmm. The next day at a press conference, Florence said, I'm not making excuses, but if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Now, there's a sermon in there somewhere. There is a sermon in there somewhere, and here it is. This is what having our focus on heaven will do. When our sufferings seem unbearable, we can hang on because we see the shore. And focusing on our heavenly shore doesn't take the trials away, doesn't necessarily take the suffering away, but it gives us leverage. It gives us leverage over our trials and troubles to hang on because our sights are on the heavenly shore. You know, I'm, I'm embarrassed sometimes uh, of us Christians because we preach Christ so flippantly. You know, we, we really do. We say flippant things like Christ is the answer. Jesus is the answer. See it on bumper stickers. You see it on billboards. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Just come to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And we say that so flippantly, without understanding. How is Jesus the answer to the mentally handicapped person? How is Jesus the answer for the severely handicapped person? How how is Jesus the answer to Rob and Brandon and Chase and Scott, who we see every week, confined to their wheelchairs for the rest of their life? How is Jesus the answer for them? How is Jesus the answer for the terminally ill those who are in hospice centers this morning who are just waiting to die. How is Jesus the answer for the perpetually oppressed? How is Jesus the answer for the permanently poor and the hungry of this world? And it breaks my heart, how is Jesus the answer to hungry children who know the gnawing aches of pain and hunger 24-7? How is Jesus the answer to those little guys? I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how. Jesus is the answer because his victory means their trials will pass and their triumphs will last forever. Amen. Romans 8, 18 says it this well. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. Whew. Wow. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, if you've never read it, I'd recommend it. In his book, The Problem of Pain, after quoting Romans eight eighteen, he said this. A book on suffering which says nothing of heaven is leaving out one side of the account. Scripture and tradition habitually put the joys of heaven into the scales against the sufferings of earth. No solution of the problem of pain which does not do so can be called a Christian one. And Lewis is absolutely right. I have read a lot of books on the cause of evil and evil in this world. Tim Keller's written a great book on it. I have read a lot of books on suffering to try to get a handle on suffering. And you know what? Sad to say, a lot of those books never mention heaven. How could you write a book on evil? How could you write a book on human suffering and leave heaven out? See, the sufferings of this present world need to be seen in the light of the promise of eternal happiness with God. Now, the scales cannot be balanced in this life. We know that. The scales cannot be balanced in this life alone. And Paul calls our light and momentary troubles, he calls them light and momentary troubles. And the reason he does that, he compares them to the glory that is coming. Now, now folks, some suffering is heavy. It is heavy. Holocaust, rape, human trafficking, torture, acts of terror, little children dying, of leukemia and starvation. Those are heavy. And and here's the thing. What feels the other side of the scale must be so heavy compared to those light and momentary troubles as Paul calls them. What is on the other side of the scale the hope of heaven, of having a new body? Woo A new body. One of these days, I think we'll all be 30 years old. I really do. I want to talk about that. I think we'll all be between 30 and 33 years old. I didn't have any hair then, so I don't expect to have any hair in heaven. But a new body. Can you imagine? A new body in the presence of Jesus where we can worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever. And never have another pain. Amen is right. All right, let's do a little review. Believing in heaven now shapes our values, manages our stress level, it should, and it does make our trials and suffering bearable because we know, we know there's a glory. There is a glory that outweighs all the troubles and the trials. But also, believing in heaven now keeps us from selling out believing in heaven now keeps us from selling out to the values of this world we do not need what they are offering Peter says it this way this is from the message this is so good friends this world is not your home so don't make yourself cozy in it now I'm old enough to remember some of you will not remember my favorite southern gospel quartet was the happy goodman family some of you young people have no idea what i'm talking about don't you don't even know what southern gospel is get used to it we're going to sing a little bit of it in heaven bill gaither told me we were <laughs> but i grew up in the mountains of east tennessee and after we came in from milking we got a program from nashville tennessee called the gospel singing jubilee any of you nobody knows we had some old people in the first service did but it their their, their song their their thing song was jubilee jubilee you're invited to this happy jubilee well the goodman the happy goodman family were on it every week they hosted it i fell in love with festal goodman when i was a little boy and i stayed in love with her till she went to heaven man could she rear back and belt it out And so when I get to heaven, I'm going to look Vessel up, and I want her to sing for me. But they sang a song. They sang a song as a quartet, and it went like this. I don't want to get adjusted to this world, to this world. I've got a home that's so much better. I'm going to go there sooner or later. I don't want to get adjusted to this world. Isn't that what the text says? Don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't get adjusted to this world. Now, folks, the greatest, pers- the greatest enemy of the church today is not persecution. Now, the church in America, we, we are getting, we're getting our licks now, aren't we? And it's going to get worse. We're getting our licks. It's going to get worse. So just be ready for it. But the greatest enemy of the church will not be persecution in this country it's never been in the whole world when richard nixon opened china the world the christian world was amazed to find a strong underground church of millions and millions of chinese who were faithful christians who went underground to save their lives and protect their and protect them china is persecuting christians Publicly tearing down their church buildings, and, and just they've torn down two mega churches in the last year, just tore their buildings down. And the church underground is getting stronger. We have a lot of students from China at Johnson University. We have a, an arrangement with one of the two, two universities, and we have a lot of students that come from China to us, and our students go over there, <laughs> and it's working. It's working, it's working, it's working. And we we worry about some of our Chinese students. Persecution has never hurt the church. Now you go to Western Europe, where Christian faith is almost extinct. France, Germany, England. Why? Because those churches thought that accommodating culture was what was best when the church looks like the culture around it there is nothing to persecute folks Jesus didn't establish the church to become like the culture around it he established the church to be counter culture the church does the most good for culture when it doesn't look like culture but when it is the salt and the light to culture that Jesus intended. Amen? When you go to the grocery store, walk over to the magazine counter and take a glimpse of what's on the covers. You will discover the values of our culture. (laughs) Ridiculously thin bodies, nobody, no, no, no. mm. Ridiculously thin bodies, expensive cars, And these huge houses that are decorated in such a way that no one could possibly live there. Those covers display the values that our culture holds. And when you look at those values, it takes a deliberate intention on our part to not fall into the prey of those values. And to keep values that last forever. See folks... Believing in heaven now gives us moral stamina so that we will not sell out to the values that our culture says are so real. The Apostle Paul addressed this in Philippians, the third chapter. He said there are two kinds of people there are those kind of people who worship their stomach, instant gratification, instant gratification, right now thinking, and those who look to heaven. This is what he said about them. The future. Their future is eternal destruction. That's the instant gratification crowd. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And all they think about is this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Now if you go to that magazine rack you will find that there's a lot of money to be made in helping brides and their mothers get ready for weddings. They're gods of magazines. In all my years, <laughs> I've never seen a groom magazine. Have you? I've never seen a groom magazine. They're just not there. But the Bible says that the bride of Christ, the church, his church, is heading for a wedding. And the groom is coming one of these days. And if it is our job, the bride of Christ, the church, to be ready and beautifully adorned when he comes. And to look different from the world who knows that they are the bride of Christ. You see, folks, it makes God beam with the light. When his children live in the future tense and they get their fix on heaven. Ralph Davis was a student at Cincinnati Christian University. In one of his preaching classes taught by my good friend Dr. Michael Shannon. Who at the time was the dean of the seminary. Now he teaches for us at Johnson University. In Dr. Shannon's class, if you took Dr. Shannon's preaching class... You had to preach a sermon in class and be judged by the professor and the students. Well, I had to do that at Johnson University, and it gave me so much trauma, I didn't about put my students through that. So I bragged to Shannon, I don't do that, and I always had more students in my class than he did, (laughs) because they didn't have to preach and, and go through all that trauma. Well, it was the day that they preached their sermons in class. Ralph Davis preached his sermon. And he finished with these words, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Ralph Davis said that, went to his seat, sat down, and died just like that. I kidded Dr. Shannon. I've had a lot of students to go to sleep in my classes, but I've never killed one. But Ralph Davis died just like that. And you know, I got to thinking about that when Dr. Shannon told me. And I've thought a lot about it. What will my last thoughts be about? To Ralph Davis, his last thoughts were about heaven. Hmm. Can you imagine? What will your last thoughts be about? None of us can afford to neglect fixing our eyes on heaven. And none of us should fail to prepare ourselves for eternity. We must have a passion for the invisible world above where Jesus is seated. It may sound old-fashioned, but we have to have a passion for that invisible world. And such a vision will radically transform how we live here. If we have our mind on heaven it will shape our values help to manage our stress level and make our trials and sufferings bearable because we know what's ahead of us is far greater than anything that we've gone through down here and it will keep us then from selling out to the culture around us amen let's pray Lord Jesus, thank you that right now you are preparing a place for us. A place where we will live with you forever in joy, peace, and happiness. And you promised us when everything is ready, you're going to come back and take us home. Oh, Lord Jesus, we long for that day. We pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And when you come, may we be ready. To meet you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said. Amen. Today if you're not ready. For Jesus coming. Come and get ready. You say well how do I do that? Confess Jesus Christ. As your Lord and Savior. Choose to make him your Lord and Savior. And when you do. He'll forgive you all of your sins. Past, present and future. Wow. And you can go to bed tonight, put your head on your pillow, knowing if like Ralph Davis you went that quick, you would be with your Father in heaven. That's His promise, man. That's a good deal. So come and receive Him. If you need communion today, come to the stations and wait on yourself and have your time of prayer and devotion. If you'd like some of us to pray with you.